Let's read the text, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Matthew is the uh, first gospel in the New Testament, and it's the very last words here that we're going to be looking at in that book. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray, guys, and then we'll dive in. God, we quiet our hearts and our minds. We submit and surrender ourselves. We put ourselves under the word here this morning. Under the word of our God. God, we know that The words that come forth from your mouth are life. That in the beginning, God said, let there be. And it was. And that over sinful people, God says, let there be. And light breaks in the dark hearts. New creation comes forth. We're born again, renewed in your image. Yes, I believe, I know that there is power in your word. And that's why we gather around and under your word week after week and day after day. So I pray as we come again today and open the scriptures that you would speak. Pray that you'd reorient our wandering hearts. That you would satisfy. That you would save. Jesus name. Amen. Um, Okay. So agenda for this morning. While there is uh, much in this text here that's commonly referred, if you have church background, as the Great Commission, Jesus' kind of last words to his disciples before he, he, he heads home, if, if you will, to heaven, um, there's a lot we could talk about here, but really there's just one thing that I wanted to focus in on with you, and it's that little prepositional phrase there at the end of verse 19. You're saying, prepositional phrase? What are you talking about? I'll show you. This is what captured my attention. Jesus says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, here's the phrase, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptizing them in the name the Father, Son, and Spirit. Perhaps you have been baptized before. Perhaps you've seen other people getting baptized. No doubt if that is the case, you probably heard those words or something like this. I 
baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We say these things, we hear these things, but I wonder, do we know what they actually mean? And that's what got me thinking, because I think sometimes as Christians, we um, can often just kind of do things because it's what we've always done, without much critical thinking, without much sense of, wait, why? What is this saying? Why do we say it? Is this just a little kind of nice little bow that we tie up and, and attach to our, our Christian rituals? Is this uh, phrase, is it, is it kind of like a magic formula? That if you kind of say it, something magical kind of happens and transformation takes place and you got to use almost like an incantation. Is that what this phrase here is? Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If I could just be honest with you for a moment. I don't know why I say that. I'm always trying to be honest, but um, it's so funny. First time I, I ever baptized uh, someone, I had the privilege of doing that. I was college pastor at my church in San Luis Obispo. This girl had uh, wanted to associate her life with Jesus' death and resurrection on her account. She wanted to be baptized. We did it actually in the uh, jacuzzi that I had in the, the house I was renting, kind of out in the woods. It was awesome. Uh, had some people from the ministry there. And I kid you not, I forgot to say, I think in, in the midst of my excitement, and all, I forgot to say the magic words. <laughs> I forgot to say, oh, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I didn't even realize it at the time um, until someone pointed it out after the fact. And then here's what kind of broke over me. Oh, no. Does that mean that the baptism wasn't valid? Does that mean that we got to do this thing again? This is going to be awkward. I blew it. You know, there's confusion. There's concern. Why do we say these things? What does it mean? Is it some sort of magic formula or something else? Now, I, I tell that to you kind of laughing now, but it, it does bring up that question. Again, why? What? So this morning, that's really all I wanted to tease out, um, because it's my understanding after spending some time just kind of reflecting on that little phrase and the idea of baptizing a person in the name of the triune God, uh, I saw how infinitely deep and rich um, those words really are, and the implications that flow from that. So I'm going to bring out four for you today. Um, before I do that, though, uh, I did want to make quick, uh, a quick couple of textual interpretive kind of notes uh, on this uh, verse that we're looking at there, verse 19. Um, because this is actually what's going to make sense of what you see in the back on the slide of this idea of baptism, the tagline, immersed into the name. Two quick things I want you to know, and I'm just going to go seminary on you real quick. In the, the Greek, the word for baptize in our text, baptizo, literally means to plunge or immerse. 
And then the second thing I wanted you to know is that the Greek translated in our English in or baptize you in the name is this word ace, which is actually the Greek word for into. There's a much better word for in. And so, in fact, your Bibles probably have a footnote that say, actually, this could be translated into. Hence, the idea of baptism is being immersed into the name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But again, that just sets up the discussion here. And, and I want to ask the question, what does this mean? Four things. First, it means, I think, that we have been hounded by grace. I think that this idea of being baptized or immersed into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit means that we have been hounded by grace. The reference to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit here, I think what we're meant to see is that there, there has been kind of a joint effort among the Trinity for some time now, to get us to this point. There is something the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have done that enable us to kind of come into this name and be a part of their fellowship. Um, One of the ways that people often talk about how the Father, Son, Spirit have been at work for the redemption of mankind, you could could, uh, perhaps put it memorably like this. The Father architects this plan. The Son accomplishes it. The Spirit applies it. The Father architects it in that throughout the Old Testament and from the beginning of time, He's been promising, prophesying, speaking about this coming redemption. You know, lacing the whole Old Testament with symbols and shadows and all sorts of things pointing to the redemption that then the Son would come and accomplish. Which is why Jesus throughout his ministry is again and again going, man, did you read the book? Did you read the book? Did you read the book? All that I am doing is in fulfillment of what God has planned. What God's been speaking about for so long now. And then the Spirit, so Jesus, uh, if you recall, after he's risen and, and he's talking to his disciples, he says, listen, i got to go away. I'm going to send to the Father, but then I send back my Spirit. The Spirit brings all that Jesus accomplished to us and applies it to us. Father architects, Son accomplishes, Spirit applies. All of this is to say, for those being baptized this morning, heaven has been working tirelessly to get you to this point. That's what at least part of the implication, being baptized into the name, Father, Son, Spirit. We are invited to see how busy God has been on your behalf. How much every person of the Trinity has been up to in grace for you. This is really why I chose the word hounded here. Hounded by grace. Um, I get the idea actually from a, an old poem uh, by a guy by the name of Francis Thompson called, entitled, The Hound of Heaven. 
uh, I will not even attempt to read some of the, the old English to you here. I, I was an English major, and I, I couldn't make sense of hardly anything this guy was saying. But there was one thing as I slogged my way through it that did become clear. He's talking about how, man, I ran and I ran and I ran from God. But God in his grace ran faster. He's the hound of heaven. He's not going to stop. He's been at work from the beginning of time getting you to this point, day of salvation, or at least what baptism signifies, the idea of being saved by him. There was... um, one old minister who wrote of this poem, The Hound of Heaven, he, he said this, The name is strange. It startles one at first. It is so bold, so new, so fearless. It does not attract, rather, the reverse. But when one reads the poem, this strangeness disappears. The meaning is understood. As the hound follows the hare, never ceasing in its running, ever drawing nearer in the chase, with unhurrying and unperturbed pace, so does God follow the fleeing soul by his divine grace. And though in sin or in human love, away from God, it seeks to hide itself, divine grace follows after unwearyingly follows ever after till the soul feels its pressure forcing it to turn to him alone in that never ending pursuit so here's bottom line while your baptism as we'll see in a moment uh, does in some ways mark off a new beginning Absolutely it does. The idea of going down with Christ in his death and coming up with him in, in, in his life as a new creation. That is the picture. But in another sense, what we can see is that a person's baptism is actually the culmination or the kind of grand finale of a, of a work that began long ago on behalf of this person, you and I. That, I think is the idea of Ephesians 1, 3, 4. Well, Paul says this, and notice the, the Trinity here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Father, Son, Spirit at work for you before you ever even got to this day. That's one thing you can draw from being immersed into the name. He's been pursuing you. He's, he's, he's been hounding you by grace. Second thing I would bring out then, so we've been hounded by grace. Now start to see that we've been surrounded by love. We've been surrounded by love. The idea of being immersed into the name of the Trinity, surely carries with it, I think, this idea of entering relationship with them. To be immersed into the name is, in essence, to kind of be coming into the relationship that the Trinity enjoys. This is not to say, however divine or awesome you think you are, that you become kind of like the fourth member of the Trinity, but it is to say that you enter into some sort of intimate relationship with them in baptism, being immersed 
into their names. It's a picture of this. You're being surrounded, as it were, by love. Like literally going under and being immersed into, casted into the love of God. To help you understand why I, I'm saying this means you're surrounded by love, uh, I think you have to come back and, and think about what we know regarding the relationship uh, between the members of the Trinity themselves. Because we're being brought into that. And to help you understand how the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit relate to one another, uh, there's probably no, no one better I could read than C.S. Lewis. So let me read this to you. He says this, All sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love. But they seem not to notice that the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something that one person has for another person. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, he was not love. What Christians mean by the statement God is love is that the living dynamic activity of love has been going on in God forever. And has created everything else. And that, by the way, he goes on to say, is perhaps the most important difference between Christianity and all other religions. That in Christianity, God is not a static thing. Not even a person, but a dynamic, pulsating activity. A life, almost a kind of drama. Almost, if you will not think of me irreverent, a kind of dance. So he's talking here about the idea of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And we know from Scripture how the Son just lives to point people to the Father. The Spirit lives to point people to the Son. There's this mutual love among the members of the Trinity. C.S. Lewis goes so far as to say it's almost like they're in this sort of divine dance with one another. And then here is the picture of baptism, brothers and sisters. It's being immersed into that brought into the relationship uh, that God enjoys within himself, brought into, if you will, the dance. Invited to enjoy what they've been enjoying forever. So that's, again, what it means, I think, to be baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But there's more. Number three, I think it also means that we've been given a new name. Being baptized into the name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, surely must involve the idea that the name of God is in fact put upon you in some way. So it's not just that um, we have been kind of brought into relationship with God like a friend or a dance partner. What we come to find out is it's actually like we're being brought into the family. There's this picture here almost of like the adoption of God, the placing of his name on to you and I. The family name is given to us sinners though we be. 
I think Galatians 3:26 to 27 shows you this idea of baptism and family adoption side by side. It says this, In Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You're baptized into Christ. You've put Christ on. You are therefore the same in terms of relating to God as Jesus was. You are a son. You are a family member. You share the name of God. Now, we've talked about this often here, I, I, I think, particularly because I know it is the perennial temptation of man. But in our old nature, fallen nature, we are all prone to be kind of desperately, laboriously trying day after day to make a name for ourselves. To get my name in the lights. To have people think well of me. To get people that want to invite me to speak into what they have because I bring wisdom. You better call Nick on that. He's got a lot to say. Ooh, that sounds nice to my ears. We want a following. We want to feel like we've arrived. We want a name for ourselves. This sort of, uh, uh, this sort of corruption can even find its way into the church and our kind of religious activities. The Pharisees and the scribes, Sadducees in the Gospels really represent this well. Where man, they're giving themselves to all these religious things. Doing all the stuff, but it's not with concern for God's name. It's trying still to make a name for themselves. They love having their long robes, and they love the greetings in marketplaces and the seats of honor, Jesus says. They love having a name. Some of us are probably trying to do that. Even in our relationship with God. Maybe get him to bless us. Maybe get him to think well of us. Maybe get him to kind of be in our debt in some way. Didn't you see what I did for you? But at the end of the day, all of this labor and all of this striving, trying to make a name for ourselves, we're laying in our bed at the end of the day in those moments when we're actually sometimes willing to be honest with ourselves. What do we feel? feel exhausted, feel anxious, exhausted from trying so hard to get everybody to like you or think something of you more than you really are, more than you know you are, anxious because, gosh, even if you have made a name for yourself in the community or in your workplace or among the moms or whatever it is, how are you going to maintain that? What happens if you lose that? What happens if competition rises and knocks you off the top? Exhausted and anxious. And then along comes baptism and what it pictures for us. The idea of being immersed into the name is the idea that God says, listen, stop your striving. Stop trying to make a name for yourself and let me give you my name. A name secure, a name stable. A name as firm and finished as Christ's work on the cross for you. It is finished, 
he ends his work. And then he invites us into it. We are immersed into that, cast into that. God's name is put upon us. We are secure in him. Fourth, then, and finally, so this idea of being immersed into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit uh, certainly means that we have been hounded by grace. It means we've been surrounded by love. It means that we've been given a new name. But it also now finally means, I think, we've been infused with new life. What I mean here is that you are going to start to look like the one by whom you've been adopted. You're going to start to look like the family into which you have been adopted and brought into. In other words, you not only have the family name, baptism is also a picture of the reality that you have taken upon yourself now or have been given the family uh, genetics, if you will. One of the things that is, um, you know, so great about watching, like, like I have three kids and I've got, uh, my son, he's now about 18 months. And one of the things that, that's so fun, right, about watching them grow up is starting to kind of identify who it is that, that, that he looks like or that your kid looks like, right? So you kind of bust out the old albums. You're like, no, no, no. Look, he's got grandpa's nose. No, no, no. Look, he's got grandma's, you know, whatever. I think he looks like me. I may be biased. But one way or another, we know that our kids are going to look like us. Why? Because they have our genes. They have our genes. And so the idea of being immersed into the name goes beyond just having a name stamped onto you and actually carries with it this idea that you are now going to rise up in Christ with his spirit in you, and there's going to be a new life. There's a new genetic material. There's a new source here, a new power source for you. And it's coming from heaven, not from the earth. It's coming from the second Adam, not from the first Adam. It's coming from God. So being immersed into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit carries with it the idea that you will actually start to look more and more like the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We can't forget that men and women have been created, what does Genesis 1 say? In the image of God. Well, we marred, we destroyed that image in our sin. But Christ comes to renew us in that image. What is an image? Think of a mirror. That's how I explain it to my kids. Reflecting. God with my life. That's what baptism pictures as you go down with his death and you come up with his life. You are, in fact, a new creation in Christ. I think the words of Jeff Vanderstelt uh, in his book Saturate tie all of this up nicely. I, I want to read this to you and then I'll just kind of close with some final thoughts. Um, Our new creation identity, he writes, is expressed in our baptism. 
To baptize is to saturate. Or baptism, or our baptism represents that we are now saturated within the Godhead or the Trinity. This saturation into God makes us different. God changes us. It's very important because God wants us to know that we are new creations with new identities before he calls us to live new lives. So the initiation into the Christian life is baptism. Why? So that you know you're secure in his name and the name he's put on you before you even go to try to live this thing. And then it's in and out from that security that you start to walk in new power and grace. It's not making a name for yourself anymore or trying to earn your salvation. It's living that out in joy and gratitude and in the power of the Spirit. He goes on, This is why Jesus commands that we baptize disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our baptism is a physical display of our old life of sin and death being buried with Jesus Christ in His death. It is also a sign of our new life of faith, hope, and love as we have been raised with Christ into new life. We have a new life, a new identity, and a new name. Your new name represents both who God says you are and what he plans to do through you. You are saturated with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It starts with God and his work which changes you so new work can come through you. There's a new power been given not just a new name, but a new power. And we start to take on, we start to take on the family resemblance. Finally, um, if I could leave us anywhere, I wanted to leave us kind of at the foot of the cross. Because we can't forget that all of this stuff I've been talking about that baptism signifies and that we get to enjoy. We enjoy these things because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because of the gospel. Because of what he accomplished. So think about it with me. We have been hounded by grace. But it is only because he was abandoned. Suffered under, not grace, but the curse of the law. Do our sin. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Why did he go there? To redeem us from the curse we deserve. We are hounded by grace. He was abandoned and left to die under the curse of the law. We've been surrounded by love, invited into the dance of God, but it is only because on the cross He was surrounded by enemies on every side. And He was kicked out of the Trinity, if you will. The relationship he had enjoyed in love with the Father, the Spirit from all eternity for you and me so that we could come under the water and come back up into new life and relationship with him. He allowed himself to be kind of torn from the Father in those moments. 
I don't know how else to understand his words from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Trinity cut ties with itself, it seems, to let you and I in. We get invited to the dance. But Jesus gets sent home without a partner. Isn't that amazing? We have now received a new name in Jesus. But it is only because Jesus let his own name be trampled into the dirt. You remember the soldiers and things. If you've ever been to an Easter service, you've probably heard this sort of stuff. But how they would mock him and they gathered around him, hail the king of the Jews. And they put the crown of thorns and fastened it onto his head as a way of mocking him. And making a joke of what was truly his identity. As King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and He let us do it. He let us step on His name and make fun of Him. Why? So that when He's died and when He's risen, He could come to us and put His name on us and invite us into the family. And into his finished work on our behalf. And finally, we have received or been infused with new life through the pouring out of his spirit. But let's not forget that it is only because he first poured out his blood unto death. So, now we don't think, it should be clear, that these words, hey, baptize you into the name, immerse you into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't think that these words are just a nice little bow we tie up and slap onto our ceremonies. We also don't think, on the other hand, that there's some sort of magical power to saying them. But man, we do believe, we do believe that these words are intended to show us, give us window into something so rich that the Father, the Son, the Spirit have been up to for us and want to do in and through us. Just wonderful picture. And I've just kind of touched on it here this morning. God... Who are we that you would put your name upon us? Who are we that you would surround us with your love, that you've been at work for our salvation from before we were even born? That you've given us a new life. God, I pray that you'd be honored, you'd be magnified for the work that you have done as we share and enjoy and celebrate that here together. God, be pleased as we sing. And we engage with you now from our hearts. It's in your name I pray.
Amen.